Section One of At the Point of the Bayonet: A Tale of the Maratha War by G. A. Henty. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lynn Thompson. At the Point of the Bayonet: A Tale of the Maratha War. Chapter One a faithful nurse part one on a swell of ground in the wild country extending from bombay to the foot of the ghauts stood a small camp in the centre was a large pavilion the residence for the time of major lindsay an officer whose charge was to keep the peace in the district it was no easy matter the inhabitants wild and lawless lived in small villages scattered about the rough country for the most part covered with forests and subject to depredations by the robber bands who had their strongholds among the hills major lindsay had with him a party of twenty troopers not for defence there was little fear of attack by the natives of the concan but to add to his authority to aid in the collection of the small tax paid by each community and to deter the mountain robbers from descending on to the plain he generally spent the cool season in going his rounds while during the hot weather his headquarters were at bombay he had with him his wife and infant child the child was some three months old and was looked after by an ayah who had been in major lindsay's service ten years for three elder children had been born to him all however dying from the effects of the climate before reaching the age of five the ayah had nursed each in succession and had become greatly attached to the family especially to her youngest charge she had come to speak english well but with the child she always talked in her native tongue as the major saw the advantage it would prove to the boy when he grew up to be able to speak fluently one at least of the native languages the nurse was a maratha she had been in the service of the british resident at Pune and when he was recalled had entered that of major lindsay at that time a captain who acted as secretary to the resident a young officer from bombay had just ridden out to spend a day or two with the major and was sitting with him at the entrance to the tent the news from the army he said is most unsatisfactory as you know to the astonishment of everyone colonel edgerton was appointed to the command in spite of the fact that he was so infirm as to be altogether unfit for active service and mostyn our late resident at Pune, and karnak accompanied him as deputies of the council that is altogether a bad arrangement the major said it has always been a great disadvantage for a general to be accompanied by civilians with power to thwart his combinations against mostyn's appointment no one could raise any objection as having been for some years at Pune, he understands the Marathas, and indeed is much liked by them, so that in any negotiations he would have far more chance of success than a stranger. But Karnak is hot-headed and obstinate, with a very high idea of his own importance, and it is certain that there will be difficulties between him and Edgerton. I am sorry to say major that these anticipations were very speedily verified as you know the advance party landed at apti 
on November the 23rd and seized the roads over the gorge and on the 25th the main body disembarked at Panwell No sooner had they got there than there was a quarrel between Edgerton and Karnak most unfortunately Mostyn who would have acted as mediator was taken ill on the very day after landing and was obliged to return to Bombay and I hear there is hardly any chance of his recovery The army did not reach the top of the Gorts till the 23rd of December Instead of at the latest three days after landing and actually spent 11 days before it arrived at Kali only eight miles in advance of the Boer Gorts of course this encouraged the enemy and gave plenty of time for them to assemble and make all their arrangements and when we last heard they were harassing our march for the past two days no news has arrived and there seems to be little doubt that the Mahrattas have closed in round their rear and cut off all communications it is monstrous that they should march so slowly the whole thing has been a hideous blunder and the idea of encumbering a force of four thousand men with something like thirty thousand camp followers and with a train of no less than nineteen thousand bullocks to say nothing of other draught animals is the most preposterous thing i ever heard of in fact the whole thing has been grossly mismanaged i don't say that the conduct of the marathas has not for some time been doubtful if not threatening it is well known that the governor-general and the council at calcutta have most strongly disapproved of the whole conduct of the council at bombay indeed no explanation has ever been given as to why they took up the cause of ragopa the scoundrel who grasped the crown and who was privy to if he did not instigate the murder of his nephew the young peishwa he was not unopposed for nuiz and hurry punt two of the leading Maratha ministers formed a regency under Gungabai, the widow of the murdered Peishwa. While matters were undecided, the Bombay Council opened communications with Rugoba, who they thought was likely to be successful, and promised to assist him, if he would advance a considerable sum of money, and cede to the company Salset, the small islands contiguous to Bombay and Bassein which had been captured from the portuguese by the marathas an altogether inexcusable arrangement as the marathas were at peace with us and rugoba was not in a position to hand the islands over that matter however was settled by sending an expedition which captured salset and tanna in 1775 four years ago since then rugoba has become a fugitive and without a shadow of reason is making war against the whole force of the Maratha confederacy who although divided amongst themselves and frequently engaged in the struggles for supremacy have united against us for they say that Sindhya, holkar and hari punt are in command of their army to send four thousand men of whom less than six hundred are europeans against the whole Maratha power is a desperate step I know we have fought and won against greater odds many times in the history of India But our forces have always been well led marched with the smallest amount of baggage possible and made up for inferiority in numbers by speed activity and dash Here on the contrary we have a force hampered to an unheard-of degree by baggage and camp followers 
with an invalid at its head controlled by two civilians and moving at a rate which in itself testifies to divided councils and utter incompetency on the part of its commander it is almost impossible even to hope for success under such conditions the lookout is certainly bad the younger officer agreed however before now the fighting powers of the british soldier have made up for the blunders of his commanders and we may hope that this will be the case now if a disaster happens the major said we shall have the marathas down at the gates of bombay and as soon as i hear a rumor of it and news travels wonderfully fast among the natives i shall return to the city oh i don't think you need fear anything of that sort major besides this is not on the direct line between the ghauts and the city and even if they find they cannot push on i should say our force would be able to secure their retreat the Maratha horse will never be able to break our squares but of course in that case we should have to abandon all our baggage and baggage animals i agree with you that the Marathas would doubtless hang on the skirts of our force and follow them down the boar gort and so would not come anywhere near us but they might detach flying parties to burn and plunder as is their custom brave as they are the Marathas do not fight for the love of fighting but simply from the hope of plunder and from enlarging their territories well we may hope in a day or two to hear that a battle has been fought and that a victory has been won not that one victory would settle the matter for the maratha force consists almost entirely of cavalry and as we have only a handful they would if beaten simply ride off and be ready to fight again another day if we had pushed on and occupied Pune directly we landed which should have been easy enough if the baggage train had been left behind for it is but forty miles from panwell to the maratha capital the position would have been altogether different the marathas would not have had time to collect their forces and we should probably have met with no opposition and once in Pune, could have held it against the whole maratha force besides it is certain that some of the chiefs seeing that rugoba was likely to be made paishwa would have come to the conclusion that it would be best for them to side with him of course the baggage should all have been left at panwell and in that case the force should have entered Pune three days after landing instead of delaying from the twenty fifth of november until to-day the seventh of january and even now at their present rate of advance they may be another fortnight before they arrive at Pune. i don't think there has been so disgraceful a business since we first put foot in india at any rate i shall send mary and the child down to bombay to-morrow it is all very well to have her with me when everything is peaceable but although i do not think there is any actual risk it is well that in turbulent times like these with nothing but a force under such incompetent leading between us and a powerful and active enemy she should be safe at bombay just before daybreak next morning there was a sudden shout from one of the sentries who had for the first time been posted round the camp the warning was followed by a fierce rush and a large body of horse and foot charged into the camp the escort were for the most part killed as they issued from their tents the major and his friend were shot down as they sallied out sword in hand the same fate befell mrs lindsay 
Then the Marathas proceeded to loot the camp. The ayah had thrust the child underneath the wall of the tent at the first alarm. A Maratha seized her and would have cut her down had she not recognized him by the light of the lamp which hung from the tent ridge. Why, Kadan Sufta, she exclaimed, do you not know me? He loosed his hold and stood back and gazed at her. Why, Soyera, he exclaimed, is it you? It is more than ten years since I saw you. It is my cousin, he said to some of his companions who were standing round, my mother's sister's child. Don't be alarmed, he went on to the woman. No one will harm you. I am one of the captains of this party. I must speak to you alone, Sufta. She went outside the tent with him. You have nothing to fear, he said. You shall go back with us to Junir. I have a house there, and you can stay with my wife. Besides, there are many of your people still alive. But that is not all, Sufda. I was ayah to the major and his wife, whom your people have just killed, and whom I loved dearly, and in my charge is their child. He is but a few months old, and I must take him with me. It is impossible, Sufda replied. No white man, woman or child, would be safe in the Deccan at present. No one would see his face, the woman said. I would wrap him up and will give out that he is my own child. As soon as we get up the gorts, I would stain his face and skin, and no one would know that he was white. If you will not let me do it, tell your men to cut me down. I should not care to live if the child were gone, as well as his father and mother. You cannot tell me how kind they were to me. You would not have me ungrateful, would you, Sufda? Well, well, the man said good-naturedly, though somewhat impatiently. Do as you like, but if any harm comes of it, mind it is not my fault. Thankful for the permission, Soyera hurried round to the back of the tent, picked up the child and wrapped it in her robe and then when after firing the place the marathas retired she fell in behind them and followed them in the toilsome climb up the mountains keeping so far behind that none questioned her once or twice sufda dropped back to speak to her it is a foolish trick of yours he said and i fear that trouble will come of it i don't see why it should she replied the child will come to speak maratha and when he is stained no one will guess that he is English. In time, I may be able to restore him to his own people. The other shook his head. That is not likely, he said, for before many weeks we shall have driven them into the sea. Then he must remain a Maratha, she said, until he is able to make his way to join the English in Madras or Calcutta. You are an obstinate woman. And always have been so else you would not have left your people to go to be servant among the whites However, I will do what I can for you for the sake of my mother's sister and of our kinship On the way up to the hills Soyera stopped several times to pick berries When they halted she went aside and pounded them and then boiled them in some water in a lota a copper vessel Sufda lent her for the purpose and dyed the child's head and body with it producing a color corresponding to her own the party which was composed of men from several towns and villages broke up the next morning have you money sufda asked her as she was about to start alone on her journey 
Yes, my savings were all lodged for me by Major Lindsay with some merchants at Bombay But I have 20 rupees sewn up in my garments as to your savings Soyera you are not likely to see them again for we shall make a clean sweep of Bombay However 20 rupees will be useful to you and would keep you for three or four months if you needed But as you were going to my wife you will not want them Take this dagger when you show it to her she will know that you are come from me But mind she is like most women given to gossip Therefore I warn you not to let her into the secret of this child's birth for if you did so half the town would know it in the course of a day or two now I must go back with my men to join a party who are on their way to fight the English I Should have gone there direct but met the others starting on this marauding expedition Which was so much to the taste of my men that I could not restrain them from joining I Shall see you at Junior as soon as matters are finished with the English then I shall after staying a few days there rejoin Scindia in whose service I am Soyera started on her way at the villages through which she passed she was questioned as to where she came from and Replied that she had been living down near Bombay But now that the English were going to fight the Marathas she was coming home having lost her husband a few months before as The road to Junir diverged widely from that to Pune she was asked no questions about the war all were confident that the defeat of the English was certain now that Scindia and Holkar and the government of the Peishwa had laid aside their mutual jealousies and had joined for the purposes of crushing the whites End of section one